0: Hello and welcome to the GC Podcast) <music> talk about the end of the world. Have you ever seen an end of the world film? Has anyone seen an end of the world film? Yeah. I love how there's a lot of whoops for this. Um, uh, I watched Don't Look Up the other week. It was okay. Um, there's a whole genre of this kind of film where there's some kind of morbid fascination with like watching big landmarks get knocked down by nature. So like a tidal wave knocking down the Empire State Building or the London Eye like toppling down like a pack of cards. There's always a landmark being overshadowed by some like cataclysmic humanity ending power of nature isn't it my birthday is the 12th of december yeah thank you peter i appreciate that um All that being said, uh, my birthday is the twelfth of December, in case you're interested and you want to put it in your diaries now. Get your phones out. Um, And there was a famous theory, someone might remember, about the 12th of the 12th, 2012. Uh, It was based on, I think it's like the Mayan calendar, some kind of prediction from a long time ago, uh, that the world would end on 12-12-12. And there is a film about this called 2012, which features, I think it's the Statue of Liberty being smashed to pieces by the force of nature as per all the above. Um, you may have noticed that the prediction wasn't right, unless we're really something really weird's going on, because we're all still here. Thank goodness. Um, and I was pleased about it, because my 21st birthday would have been really overshadowed uh, on the 12th of the 12th of the 12th, because everyone would have been a bit preoccupied with the end of the world. Um, we are journeying through the book of Matthew together in our small groups and every now and then on a Sunday as well, because the book of Matthew details the life of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I think there is always something more to learn about Jesus, no matter what your stance is to him, whether you think he's the son of God or not. I've been following him and I've been his friend for over 25 years, but I still don't really get him. I'll be honest. I think it's impossible or massively misguided to think that anyone knows him well enough. Um, he is God himself. He's walking on the earth, God made flesh. And so, by strolling through the book of Matthew, soaking in every last detail of Jesus' life on earth, we are getting to know him better and in more fullness. And as long as I have known him, and many of you have have known him much longer, he still surprises me. In chatting um, with Jesus this month about this passage, um, hearing his voice in the passage and hearing it in prayer, um, I've been really surprised. I've really struggled to understand and to match up who I think Jesus is with who he is here in this story. I find it hard to think about the end of the world and the day and hour unknown that Jesus talks about when he will return. I don't know about you, but I don't really watch those kinds of films, um, typically, and I don't enjoy thinking about the apocalypse. Some of you might do. So I invite you to join me in finding out more of who Jesus is, this infinitely complex, fascinating, loving, bewildering, God-made man in this passage. I would love you to walk through it with me, even the difficult bits. And together, we can do this together, guys, to submit ourselves in humility to understand how to live in the light of this teaching, because I found that really hard to grapple with. Are you with me? Yeah, there's a few of you and me. Uh, let's go. So Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Do you want to turn to it with me? Because we are going to be, we've got a lot to go through. We're going to go from here right through to 25, verse 13. You might want to open it up on your phones or in a real life book. It'll be on the, on the screen, but it'd be easy if you've got it in front of you as well, because then you can see what I'm talking about. All right. So Jesus is talking about uh, his ultimate return in the end times at the end of the world. Um, and he says, verse 36, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, People were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. Verse 42, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would not have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Let's pause there. So to start, Jesus is saying that no one knows when he will return and that his return signals the end of the universe as we know it. So this isn't just the dumb force of nature wiping everything out. This is much more dramatic. He's saying that life will be normal. So he talks about in the days before the flood. So notice he talks about people will be eating and drinking and marrying. and So none of those are like the depths of depravity. Like things look fairly normal they look like now. Um, so people aren't doing these terrible things. Life will be normal working in the fields and at the handmill, and no one, not even the angels, not even the son, not even him uh, will know until God the Father ordains the end times. We've heard a little bit about that in small groups recently. Verse 40, two men will be in the fields. Jesus says two people can be living Uh, lives that look exactly the same. So this is like where we get the idea of the rapture from. So you might have seen that depicted in various things. I think there's different films about that as well. Um, There's a memorable Simpsons episode. This is where I first came across the rapture, I'll be honest. Um, Quite a while ago, where um, I think only Maggie gets taken away and the others get left. Um, It isn't clear in the passage, if I'm honest, (laughs) Um, if you're being taken away in judgment or left behind in judgment, or whether you're being taken away to like perfect eternal life with Jesus or left behind for the renewal of the earth and eternal life with Jesus. He's not that specific. But I think the point is, these, the two men in the field, the two women at the handmill, both to us are living lives that look exactly the same from the outside, but their eternal destiny could be entirely different. It's because God looks at the heart. God sees what's inside. So actually in terms of people's lifestyles, the choices that they make, the things that they say, the relationships they're in, they will look exactly the same. But one will be have an eternal destiny with Jesus and one will not. Verse 42, Jesus reminds us to keep watch. The day of his return will come like a thief in the night. He talks about that a few times in his teaching. So um, he's basically saying you can't fake it. You can't look busy just in time (laughs) Um, because you don't know what just in time is. Um, You can't trick God into saving you. Let's go on to verse 45 onwards. So, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? Right, so first of all, the master, this is like a bit of a mini parable, the master is Jesus, it's God himself, um, and it's giving his followers responsibilities as his servants. So people who have decided to serve God. Um, So the servant are his followers, to take care of everything in their household, the household is like all of creation, everything that we have responsibility for. So like just cast that in your mind, like cast those parts and then watch the story in your mind. Um, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, the master will put that servant in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if anyone's heard the gnashing of teeth, if you happen to live with someone who gnashes their teeth, it is a terrible sound. Um, Ben doesn't gnash his teeth, but I've heard people gnash their teeth and it it is awful. It's like nails on chalkboard sort of thing, but in someone's mouth. So anyway, um, back to the story. Um, so you could read this because it's like a, a servant who's been put in charge of other servants as leaders in the church. It could be like, oh, that's who it's about. Or leaders in our society who've been given responsibility for other servants. But I reckon um, we've all been given responsibility, right? In our society, in our part of the world. We have so much wealth and so much education and opportunity at our disposal compared to people across the whole world and across the whole of history. Like, we've been given a lot. We're we're not like, oh, we're just one of the other servants. I'm like, I think we've been put in charge of quite a lot, actually. You might educate other people as your job, or you might lead others or influence in your home or in your work or in your family or at university. And even if not, even if you're like, oh, I'm not in charge of anyone, I'm like, You've been given a planet and an environment and a home to steward and money to steward. We are all that servant. God has given us people and stuff to look after and to steward. And again, if he's not giving you people, he's given you a life to lead. How are you doing on that? How am I doing on that? Am I leading my life in a way that if Jesus returns tonight, I would have led it faithfully? Not perfectly, let's not get it twisted and start feeling really guilty. He's not saying perfectly, he's saying faithfully, guided by faith, trying in faith to follow the instructions he's given us through his word, caring for the people in the world he's given us. Are we banking on him coming a little bit later? Are we banking on having a long life? Are we hoping Jesus doesn't come back tonight we can buy ourselves more time to do what we think he's asked us to do but we're too scared to do or we don't want to do now I know deep deep down as I read these stories that Jesus is 100% not about threatening us into following him or scaring us so let's just put the passage into context so we can remember his character he doesn't want us to leave here more burdened than when we entered when we read these stories and teachings of Jesus in the book of Matthew, as Hannah was saying, um, he's telling these stories only a few days before he's executed by the state, so before his death. And he chooses to use these last talks, his last sermons, to talk about the end times and the eventual return um, of, of him. Uh, and it's the same in Luke's account of his life. So this isn't just in Matthew. So once you put that timing into the mix and you realise that Jesus was also human and he was surrounded by other people as well who are just like us, we can see that Jesus isn't just like kicking off and threatening everyone into following him. All his teaching has been building up to this finale before his death and his resurrection, which is the real pinnacle of his ministry. And he's speaking to his followers and he's telling them that he's going to go away for some time, that he will die, but he will come back in the resurrection. But even then, he's going to come back again eventually. Because these are like... His best friends. If you've ever watched The Chosen, you might um, be able to picture it in your mind. It's a great show. Um, But there's these guys who've been on the road together for three years. They've had this amazing transformative experience together. Um, And and they've been getting to know God himself in person who's been leading them. And then when Jesus is like, but I'm leaving, but I'm leaving, but I'm going to die. That's not that reassuring for them. That's probably terrifying. So he wants to give them courage that he is coming back. And he's saying, even at the very end, when all of existence falls out from beneath us, I'll come back. The master of the house will come back for you. He's not going to leave you. He will come back and he will celebrate the ones who stuck by him. So he's telling these stories as he's looking death in the face because he's got this loving urgency and desperation to be like, for those of you who are with me and you're following me faithfully, don't worry. I'm coming back for you. I'm coming for you. I'm going to set everything right. And to those who don't trust him yet, he's like, have faith in me. There is no backup plan. There is no back door you can enter by. Be ready, be prepared Because Jesus is the only way to eternal life and fullness of life. He has all truth, all goodness, all mercy and all love. All of that, that's real. And he's offering it to people at this final point in his life. And so he's not like, I don't want to offend anyone or I'll tiptoe tiptoe around the subject. He's like, I have it all. You can access this in me. Please just reach out and try it. He's like, you need to keep watch for me coming back because I don't want anyone caught off guard. Speaking of which, the next parable Jesus tells is the parable of the 10 virgins. So we're into chapter 25 now. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So at that time, at the end times, again, we're still talking about that, that at the final return of Jesus, which we're all still awaiting. And he says it will be like 10 virgins. So virgins in this context is more like bridesmaids. It's more like uh, young, unmarried women who attend a bride, essentially. Um and then the bridegroom, um, the Old Testament portrayed God as the husband of his people, Israel. Um, so that paves the way all the way through the Old Testament, this portrayal of God as the husband of his people, God who loves and receives his people um, for Jesus as the son of God to be the bridegroom, to be the, the groom. So the the groom is Jesus himself. The bridesmaids or the virgins are those who, in, who are invited to the banquet. So it's not necessarily people who are following Jesus but they're certainly waiting for the groom to arrive so again it's a little bit open to interpretation but it's those who are definitely invited and um, they could be they're all of us we've all been invited to know Jesus so the the virgins the the bridesmaids are us right at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom five of them were foolish and five of them were wise it's always the way The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars, along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, including some people in this room, and they trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied. (laughs) There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. It is a wise answer. So while they were on their way to buy the oil, the foolish ones that is, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Hence why you're all sat around in a banquet style. In case anyone <laughs> it makes sense guys it makes sense so the bridesmaids I wait for the bridegroom sorry about that they were waiting for the bridegroom to arrive to do this procession with lit torches so they can be part of the wedding party it's the middle of the night so they need the torches and it's a bit like have you ever been a bridesmaid or a groomsman has anyone done that before so like you usually have like an outfit that you are supposed to wear. So the torches are a bit like the dress or the suit that you're supposed to wear. So if you were like, nah, I'll just leave that at home or I just won't bring it with me on the day and didn't wear it, the person who you're supposedly supporting on their big day probably wouldn't be that pleased if you were there in your pyjamas and you're like, oh, I just thought I'd leave the dress at home. I'm just here as I am. So the torches are a bit like that. They're like, the kind of rite of passage. Because to be fair, if someone was in their pyjamas, you might be like, you can't really walk down the aisle with me. You look a bit ridiculous so the torch is a bit like that they're necessary for being part of the wedding procession Um, and it's the middle of the night so you need a torch as well because otherwise you can't see where you're going Um, so some of these uh, bridesmaids the virgins bring enough oil for the long haul but some of them don't and therefore they run out by the time the groom arrives this idea of this wedding in the middle of the night was a really um, normal and familiar concept for people at the time, for Jewish people at the time. Um, the groom would um, go to the home of the bride where the ceremonies would, carry out, would be carried out um, and then the whole wedding party would form a procession with torches um, to, to the wedding banquet at the home of the groom. Um, and then what they would do at, the, at this part where he goes to collect the bride, there'd be like this haggling process over the value of the gifts know so um it would be um like an yeah it was kind of the waiting and being like oh how long is it going to take him to haggle with the bride's parents or haggle with her relatives that was part of the deal so the bridesmaids knew that it was like oh we don't know what time the groom's coming he's coming at some point but it was very normal for it to be in the middle of the night and to not be sure when he was going to turn up um it's a little bit like uh, where you're like, uh, if you've been to a wedding and you're like, we know the bride's coming, but we're not sure what time she will get there. She might be late. It's actually not really like that because there's no haggling. But That's the closest I can get. So if you imagine it's a bit like that, but Jesus' example, funnily enough, is better than my example. <laughs> um, and it's all atmospheric and it's in the middle of the night and everyone's asleep, so that's that's much better. Um, but yeah, it's a bit like that, Waiting. <laughs> Waiting, right? Um, (laughs) um, Notice all of the virgins fall asleep. Which verse is that? They all fall asleep. That's in verse five. Um, So that all of them get tired waiting for the bridegroom. And also it's the middle of the night. So the whole world is asleep during this wedding party. Um, So the whole world is kind of, um, Jesus is using that analogy to say the whole world is asleep to the fact that he's the king of all creation and he's coming back. Like, no one else knows. Uh, But even the virgins, even the followers of him, even those who have been invited, fall asleep. So, Jesus, like we're saying, um, or like I was saying earlier, isn't expecting perfection. He's not like, if you don't stay awake all night, get out. He's like, no, no one's punished for getting tired or even drifting off. Um, Jesus is not asking for perfection. Um, So, even if we drift off with the rest of the world, he's like, that's okay, as long as you're ready. But he asks us to be ready. So the bridesmaids who have enough oil to relight their lamps are ready to join the procession whilst the others have to go off to buy oil in the middle of the night. Again, it's like nowadays if you didn't turn up with your bridesmaid dress and you are a bridesmaid. It's like trying to go to the like, Tesco around the corner and find a matching dress during the ceremony. That is why they are foolish bridesmaids because they're not very helpful. So the oil signifies their preparation, It signifies our readiness for Jesus to return. Do we have enough faith, perseverance, dedication for the long haul? Or are we hoping that someone else is going to bail us out at the last minute? The foolish bridesmaids ask the wise ones to share their oil. I'll give us some of your oil, but they can't. Being prepared is a personal responsibility that cannot be shared True followers of Jesus have a genuine saving relationship with him. They are known by God. They are not perfect, nor are they on constant alert, like we see them falling asleep. But they are prepared for the time when he returns to them. You can't be saved on the basis of your friend's faith, or on the basis of my faith, or of G2's faith, or your mum and dad's, or your auntie's faith. You can't be saved on the back of anyone else because your relationship with Jesus is your relationship with Jesus. Just like you can't delegate your marriage to someone else or borrow your relationships or rely on the loyalty and friendship of your friend's friend's friend. Your relationship with Jesus is your relationship with Jesus. And some of us are trying to piggyback on someone else's faith and someone else's friendship with Jesus. And he says that's not a relationship. Let's see what he says. Verse 10 onwards, back to that story. But while the foolish bridesmaids were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others, the foolish ones, also came. Lord, Lord, they said. Open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Your relationship with Jesus is your relationship with Jesus. You can't gate crash a wedding of someone that you don't know. So when he says, I don't know you, we don't know each other. He's just saying we don't have a relationship. All are invited to this wedding banquet at the end of time. All are invited to relationship with Jesus but not all are ready. Not all enter into the relationship that would gain them access. And at the end, Jesus says again, there's that call, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. It tolls like a bell throughout these stories, doesn't it? It keeps coming back again. He reminds us, keep watch, stay alert. You can't game it. You can't do an all-nighter to meet the deadline because you don't know when the deadline is. The world is asleep to Jesus. It's nighttime. They're asleep to his eventual return. People are living like they're going to live forever. But we have been told to keep watch. To look out for Jesus. What does it mean though to keep watch? What do you think? I don't think Jesus is saying for us to be on Constant alert for the apocalypse. This isn't like, a, oh, I've got to add that to my to-do list now. In fact, to keep watch for Jesus's return is not a massive new ask if you're a follower of him. Um, if you want to have a relationship with Jesus and you want to follow him, you will be keeping watch for what he is up to in your daily life through his Holy Spirit. You'll already be looking out for Jesus at work in your life. So actually keeping watch for him and then being like, oh, I think he might be coming back. That's kind of all part of the same thing. Um, We're looking out for what he's up to in our lives today. Keeping watch, Jesus says, is also doing as Jesus has said. So back to, cast your minds back to that, the faithful servant and the unfaithful servant, and do they follow his commands, or do they just go off and do what they want? Um, The servant's given instructions and responsibilities, and in the same way we have been given instructions and responsibilities, we've been given uh, Jesus's word, we've been given um, lives to lead, Uh, people to lead towards Jesus we'd be given a world to steward until Jesus returns to install his kingdom completely he's told us how to live to love our neighbor to love ourselves to love God with all of our being to listen to him and become like him to seek forgiveness to live in Jesus's mercy and his freedom not just like rules and regulations He's taught us to follow him. That's what keeping watch is, is. sticking by what he's asked us to do. Taking responsibility for the life he's given us to lead. Not asking someone else for permission or trying to share in their preparation or their relationship with Jesus. Leading our own lives, that's keeping watch. Are you keeping watch at all? For we do not know the day or the hour. I think um, I think the reason that we, as a society, keep making films about the apocalypse and making quite a lot of money out of them is because actually we kind of know collectively that our existence is really fleeting and our universe is much more fragile than we pretend it is on a daily basis. We live like we're going to live forever. Like Jesus says, um, like the people in the days before the flood who were just living their lives normally. Um And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. We live like we're going to live forever, whilst knowing deep down that this life on Earth, as we know it, is definitely not going to last forever in this way. And making movies about it, I think, is our culture's way of trying to look it in the eye but it never quite does it, does it? Because there's always like a post-credit scene or like the ending where someone like emerges out of the rubble and it's like, humanity prevails. But I think Jesus looks it in the eye and he doesn't like move his gaze. He's like, there's no post-credit scene. The door is shut. That's it. No backdoor entrance, no other way in. The sense I can't shake from my first ever reading of this passage goodness knows when, um, right through to today is, which side of the door are we on in that wedding banquet? It says, Jesus answers the door to those bridesmaids, and then, but the door is shut. Which side of the door are we on? Are we on the outside of the door? Maybe we're not actually prepared for his return. And when we talk about his return, that could also just be the end of your own life, not just the apocalypse. Maybe we think there's a post-credit scene which gives another chance, another way out. Or maybe Jesus is just talking about those other people who pretend to know him but don't really follow him at all and haven't got to know him at all. I don't know. Jesus tells a story I think very much on purpose and it's certainly not my place to convert that into a straight and simplistic answer answer for you. It's a story on purpose. He wants it to be a cliffhanger. That's why he says a day, day and hour unknown, guys. I don't know. He wants us to ask those questions of where we are right now. Which side of the door are you on? Now, you can't enter through it just because you're scared into it or threatened into it. Because it's a wedding. It's not really how weddings work. You don't get terrified into going along. We enter in because of our relationship with Jesus. He opens or closes the door based on who is in relationship with him and therefore who is ready. Relationship with Jesus is readiness for his return. We expect him to be in our lives every day as well as expecting his eventual return. And no one can do that for you. No one. Jesus loves you. He loves you endlessly. He loves you better than anyone else. And he died for you. And he lovingly urges you to think about this tension and this question. Because he does not want us to live in ignorance or being oblivious to the consequences of the choices we don't even know we are making. He tells us the truth. In love. Which side of the door are you on right now? You banking on extra time or a backdoor or someone else's relationship with him someone else's RSVP you taking responsibility for the life he has given you to lead as his faithful servant look for the answers in Jesus he is the only one who has the answers for you for you personally so talk to him now as we break bread and share wine together, and connect with him through communion. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we are all invited to know you and to follow you. You invite us all to be saved by you, and to step through that door into your salvation. Jesus, would every single person here meet You with you now personally, And get to know you better from your word today. Where we are fearful, show us your kindness and your faithfulness. Where we are doubting you or running from you, tell us the truth. Help us to live by it. Would all of us enter renewed relationship with you today. Either for the first time or for the thousandth time. Amen.